So if we're if we're matching that nutrient profile, regardless of source, regardless of ingredient, then we should be able to provide them with everything that they need to not just to survive, but to, to thrive and to, to stay healthy. Yes, if we provide diets which are nutritionally complete and balanced, um, but potentially have less of some of the additives or dietary hazards that seem to be common in some meat-based pet foods, we might even see health advantages. Welcome to the Call the Vet Show, the podcast that helps pet parents understand and optimize the health of their furry family so they can live the full and happy life you want for them. And here's your host, veterinarian, Dr. Alex Avery. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Call the Vet Show. I hope you're keeping well. If we've not met before, then my name's Dr. Alex. I'm a veterinarian in general practice. I've been super busy this last week. Today in the clinic, I had patients coming out of my ears, blood transfusions, um, spleen removals, kind of you name it. This week seems to have kind of thrown it at us. Staff shortages because of kind of COVID that's kind of sweeping through the general population. But despite all of those difficulties, I really didn't want to delay this episode any longer. Today, we're talking about vegan diets for dogs. And for many of you, this is going to maybe mess with your preconceptions. It's going to challenge some of the ideas that you might have, and a lot of us have, about the feeding of our dogs. And for for many within the profession, certainly for other veterinarians, this is a pretty controversial topic. But today I'm bringing you a fantastic conversation I've literally just had with the wonderful Dr. Andrew Knight, who has released a, in many ways, groundbreaking uh, research paper looking at the health of dogs fed a vegan diet. I know you're going to find this super interesting. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Andrew Knight. <coughs> Here's this episode's expert interview. Dr. Andrew, it's fantastic to be speaking to you today. Thanks for taking the time. I'm really excited for our conversation today. Uh, thanks for your interest. It's a very exciting area. So today we're talking about kind of vegan pet food for dogs and, and the paper that you've recently published, kind of comparing the health of dogs that have been fed uh, a vegan food compared to raw diets, as well as our more conventional cooked diets. But before we kind of jump into the, the meat of that, so to speak, I'd just love to know kind of your background and what led to your interest in kind of the vegan pet food and, and how you came to be studying this. Sure. I mean, um, I have been interested for a long time in uh, the environmental impacts of the livestock sector, which have been increasing. Um, we now know that the food system globally is responsible for about a third of all greenhouse gases and is a major um, contributor by biodiversity loss and extinctions. Uh, the livestock sector, we know from the most recent study uh, earlier this year in Nature Food Journal, um, is responsible for about 20% of all uh, global greenhouse gases. Uh, it's also a really large uh, user of land and fresh water and um, a cause of biodiversity loss and extinction. So being, being you know, very concerned about these issues, I think this is the biggest global issue of our time. Um, we are living through this ex mass extinction event. Many people have been uh, looking to plant-based diets as a way to address this, um, to decrease the impacts of the livestock sector. Um, I was a small animal vet in clinical practice, mostly around London for about a decade before I went into teaching at a vet school. Um, and I had been wondering about what the uh, effects might be of plant-based diets for cats and dogs, because clearly 
um, if they could be healthy on these diets and happy on these diets, then there could be some major environmental benefits. So that's how I uh, started getting to studying uh, this area. And I've been doing that for many years now, actually, for probably more than a decade. Yeah, so kind of really at the, I guess, the cutting edge and at the forefront, because it's something that I, I guess it, there has been a lot more publicity about it of late, but it's been, yeah, only just being taken up, I guess. So yeah, there's it's good to know there's been a bit of background for that. I mean, I, speaking about the environmental impacts, a lot of people might be saying, well, okay, farming's a, a problem. Uh, and, you know, we recognise that there's a, a high ecological cost. It's not just carbon. It's all those other things that you're talking about with producing meat. But aren't we just using the kind of the byproducts that would otherwise be, you know, thrown in the bin if we weren't feeding it to our to our dogs? So actually, yeah. we're we're reducing waste rather than being part of the problem. It would be great if that were true, um, because as you say, it would kind of be recycling and it would be reducing waste. But unfortunately, that's less and less true as time passes. Uh, in the United Kingdom, for example, um, all the uh, ingredients in pet food are. Uh, are ingredients that have also been approved for human consumption. You, whereas in other regions of the world, uh, products, parts of the um, animal which are considered unfit for human consumption are recycled into pet food. And so there is less uh, use of byproduct in, in places like the United Kingdom. Uh, and there are also two trends which are concerning. One is the increasing use of premium pet, food, pet foods. Um, so these are more likely to use better quality cuts of meat, uh, which would could also be uh, consumed by people. And there is greater use of premium uh, pet food over time, and it's part of a general trend to be providing um, better standards of care to our animals, which is great. Uh, people are expecting uh, better standards as time passes. Uh, over the very long term, we see so-called humanisation of, of pets. Um, uh, it's been said that dogs have, uh, over a couple of generations, moved from the back garden into the living room, now up onto the bed, uh, and that's, you know many would say that's true. So we're increasingly seeing these animals as part of our own families, uh, wanting better standards of care for them, and that translates into better quality pet foods, which means less use of byproducts. Uh, a second problem, I suppose, from the environmental perspective is that uh, pet ownership around the world is massively increasing. There are around 3 billion people uh, out of a global population, about 7.8 billion, who are consumers in developing nations who are um, rapidly increasing their income. So they've got more disposable income and they're adopting what they see as the affluent and desirable lifestyles of westernised nations. And that includes more pet ownership. So we've got much more pet ownership occurring and much more use of uh, premium uh, pet foods around the world, which make less use of byproducts. So both of these things together equal a, a massive increase in the number of livestock animals that will be going into pet food and consequently the uh, environmental impacts of the livestock sector, unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. Do, is there a kind of a figure or a, a split with how much kind of, of the impact is, you know, human food versus our, our pet food? That's a fantastic question. There was a key study from 2017 um, from University of California, Berkeley, looking at the environmental impacts of pet food in the United States. The United States is interesting because that's the nation with the greatest numbers of cats and dogs in the world and also the most data available on these sorts of things. So uh, they demonstrated that uh, looking at the whole of the livestock sector, and we already know from other studies that that has really substantial environmental impacts. It's responsible for 20% of greenhouse gases, for example. Looking at the whole of the livestock sector, they calculated that pet food uh, is responsible for 25 to 30% of the environmental impacts of the livestock sector. So that's of the land use, water use, fossil fuels, pesticides, fertilisers and greenhouse gases. 
Um, so that's really striking. Uh, there have been a couple of other studies since that have found similar results. Um, for example, one looking at the uh, ecological um, footprint of the average Japanese consumer and uh, calculating that a medium-sized dog has a greater dietary ecological paw print than uh, the average Japanese consumer. And of course, the Japanese consumer may be different from the American consumer or the New Zealand consumer and so on, but uh, it does indicate that we uh, have often underappreciated just how large uh, are the dietary ecological footprints of our companion animals, uh, particularly dogs and particularly many more large breed dogs uh, compared to those of, of humans. What hasn't really been done yet is to calculate what the environmental benefits would be if the world's uh, dogs and cats switched on to, say, nutritionally sound vegan diets or maybe something like yeast-based diets. So um, what I've started to do is to study that and I've done some initial calculations and they're actually very exciting. There are really major environmental benefits that, that would accrue and it would make a real contribution to uh, global greenhouse gas emissions and, and other environmental concerns. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a fairly compelling argument that's, that says it's a big problem. We should all know, hopefully everyone listening to this knows that we're, you know, the, the ecological situation in front of us is potentially very dire. And so it's on all of us, I think, to examine every element of our life to to make changes where we're able to. And I guess there are exciting times ahead. There are new options available because maybe if we go back 10, 15 years, if there were options, it was very much less mainstream. We didn't know quite so much about it. And that that has changed. So I guess you also said that we've got the humanization. And I'd argue that actually a lot of dogs, they're actually under the duvet. They're not just on the bed. They're, you know, they 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 really are part of the family. And so we are super keen on optimizing their health, whatever that means to each individual. And a big pushback I hear is don't don't dogs need to eat meat to be healthy? Isn't that what people are, are wanting or thinking? And so how does your research, and I guess diving into your research, how does that, you know, what, what do you say to that? Yeah, that, that's a completely understandable position because uh, dogs evolved from wolves uh, some 20 to 40,000 years ago. Uh, they started to uh, follow our hunter-gatherer ancestors around the landscape as we hunted animals. Uh, and they started to receive scraps from hunting parties, but also they um, received probably as much or more uh, scraps from cooked starchy root vegetables, which was the staple diet of our ancestors. So those uh, wolf wolves that were able to that had mutations that enabled them to um, derive nutritional benefit from cooked starchy root vegetables and other assorted scraps did better than the wolves that did not have those mutations. And over time, the population changed and we ended up with the modern domesticated dog, which is biologically an omnivore. It's not a carnivore. Um, and <clears throat> this is interesting, of course, but it's actually of very limited relevance to the uh, modern house dog of uh, today that would eat a variety of uh, body parts from animals that they would never naturally have consumed. Uh, animals, I suppose, such as uh, cows, chickens, and, and some other species with all sorts of additives, which are not uh, natural either, uh, packaged up into dry kibble or cans and fed at predictable times daily. None of this is very um, similar to the uh, natural feeding regime of an ancestral dog. Uh, so <clears throat> what dogs need is not uh, to, to match an ancestral feeding regime. That's very clear. What they need is uh, biologically the set of nutrients that dogs require. 
in a formulation that's sufficiently palatable, i.e. tasty, so that the animals will be uh, happy to eat it, and also sufficiently bioavailable, so that's primarily digestible, so that nutrients can get into the bloodstream and reach the cells. There's no scientific or biological requirement for them to have an ancestral diet or, or meat or any other particular ingredient for that matter. Uh, what they need is the the right set of nutrients uh, getting to the cells in their bodies. So if we're if we're matching that nutrient profile, regardless of source, regardless of ingredient, then we should be able to provide them with everything that they need to not just to survive but to to thrive and to to stay healthy. Yes, if we provide diets which are nutritionally complete and balanced, um, but potentially have less of some of the additives or dietary hazards um, that seem to be common in some meat-based pet foods, we might even see health advantages. And actually, that's what we've seen in our latest study. We've conducted this really large-scale study of more than 2,500 dogs on vegan pet food versus meat-based pet food. And we found that the dogs on the vegan diets did actually have certain advantages which, which seem to be consistent with not being exposed to certain dietary hazards. And um, there are two, actually. There are those associated potentially with animal allergens, so allergens um, associated with beef, uh, lamb, pork, um, and we're seeing lower rates of gastrointestinal problems, skin problems and ear problems in the dogs on the vegan diets. And the second uh, cluster of apparent benefits relates, I think, to body weight, I would say that the biggest dietary hazard of pet food today is probably overnutrition. Um, there was a very large study of uh, more than 2,000 pet food brands from five US states a number of years ago that showed that deviations from labelling claims were very common and usually small, but occasionally more significant. And I think one of the most common problems was uh, more calories in pet food than uh, was on the labelling claims. Um, we know that dogs uh, being overweight and obese uh, is probably one of the most common health disorders in dogs today and uh, associated with a range of other problems for them as well. And, and the dogs in our study, uh, our very large-scale study on the meat-based diets, were more likely to suffer from um, being overweight, having musculoskeletal disorders, uh, and mobility disorders. Uh, so so there, there may be a couple of dietary hazards that um, dogs on the meat-based diets are being exposed to, which dogs on the vegan diets are not being exposed to, and that may explain why we're seeing those clusters of benefits for the vegans. Yeah. And those are, I mean, those are huge conditions. Those are chronic conditions. Those are, you know, quality of life impacting. They're not just a minor statistical difference, I guess, in a, in a, fairly insignificant condition which is sometimes what we see it they, these are these are really in that, that's a really impactful benefit for dogs that you know a switch potentially it certainly is i remember being uh practicing as a as a vet in clinical practice around london seeing so many uh of these these poor dogs with this you know red uh itching inflamed skin and so often the guardians unfortunately wouldn't understand that that was a problem because the dogs had always been that way and you know that the dog is in, in chronic discomfort uh chronic itchiness and uh, often of course they have ear problems as well the ears being a micro environment where these problems uh, are often at their worst uh, and it's just such you know it, it really uh was very sad i suppose to see these dogs in this condition long term that 
people were not really aware of, the gardens weren't aware of, and, and accordingly were not being treated for them. If we can prevent these kinds of problems uh, by using some other diet, which provides all the nutrients they need, but which, which um, doesn't include the triggers that will trigger these sorts of conditions, then um, that's got to be a really good thing. Indeed, the very first um, vegetarian or vegan uh, dog foods were not created for any concerns for environmental impacts or the welfare of food animals. They were created as hypoallergenic diets, actually, uh, as, as diets with less dietary allergens to try to address these sorts of problems, these skin problems and gastrointestinal problems and so on. So it's fascinating that that was their origin story. Uh, and I guess there's been a bit of a switch in importance of why vegan diets are increasing in their uptake or, or why people are thinking about vegan diets. But for whatever reason, if we're looking for healthier dogs, then it can only be a good thing if that is indeed what we're achieving. So um, there was a huge number of pet guardians that you had the input from as well with your study. And it was actually their reporting on their own dog's health and the number of vet visits that they were having. Uh, so what kind of questions were you actually asking to ascertain the health of those individual animals? Yeah, um, we asked them about their own opinions of health, but we also asked for a range of more objective data as well. In fact, we looked at seven general indicators of health. We looked at uh, whether the uh, guardians had been visiting vets an unusually high number of times in the last year, which might be consistent with treatment for an ongoing healthcare problem. We looked at how often they were using any kind of medication, uh, how often they had had to progress onto a medical diet after initially being on a vegan or a meat-based diet. Um, we also asked um, about the assessment of the veterinarians about health of their animals. And we also, for this group, we limited to people that had definitely seen their vet at least once in the last year and felt certain about the assessment of their vets. Um, anyone that felt unsure, we excluded from this, this part of the study. We also looked at the uh, prevalence of healthcare disorders. And for those animals that were unwell, we asked how many uh, health disorders were they suffering from? Were they suffering from just one or was it more than one? So those were our seven general indicators. And on top of that, we looked at 22 of the most common health disorders faced by dogs as well. And we looked at how um, much all of these varied across the dietary groups that we studied. So that's um so I, you know that's a whole lot of data and I can just imagine the well I can I, I'm not very good at statistics so I can't even imagine all of the number crunching that went on behind that but you know that sounds pretty comprehensive and I guess one thing that we struggle with a lot in veterinary medicine is larger scale studies um you know of 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 any type we're often talking about you know two three four individuals so actually having the numbers that you are presumably therefore increases the power and the reliability of kind of this form of, of study? Yes, so we have a very large-scale studies. 2,536 dogs were included. The previous largest study had 12 dogs in it. <laughs> as, as you say, the numbers are usually very small. Um, so that gives us a high degree of um, statistical confidence in our results. Um, so, so we are you know, very pleased that we're able to recruit so many um, pet guardians into the study and... and as, as you say, statistics was a big part of this. Um, I worked with three co-author colleagues and all of them were statisticians and they were uh, all bringing their statistical expertise to bear. Uh, as a veterinarian, I also didn't uh, um, do a lot of statistics uh, in my studies all my time thereafter. So I have uh, indeed uh, worked with colleagues on that and I'm grateful uh, to their input. 
Yeah, fantastic. So with all that said, so we've got potentially huge benefits with with weight, with skin disease, with arthritis, with a whole range of different things. Does this is this the definitive study? Does this prove that the vegan diets are, are the healthiest options? Because I guess we're not just looking can yeah, like I say, can dogs thrive? And I mean, I think if we've got large reports of people feeding vegan diets without problems for long times, we can be fairly comfortable that dogs can survive on them. But is this the definitive proof that this is what everyone should be feeding feeding their dog? Yeah. Um, I think it's rare in science that you can point to anyone's study about anything and say this is the definitive proof. Uh, As scientists, we all want to be uh, sceptics and we all want to critique uh, everything and look for flaws as much as we can. And it's probably possible to critique virtually any study that's ever been done. Um, But what we should be doing, I think, is not looking for absolute certainty or perfection, but rather considering the weight of evidence. And there are studies um, for and against the use of nutritionally sound vegan diets in dogs, um, and none of them are perfect. Um, On the for side, we've got uh, our recent study, which is a very large scale, more than 2,500 dogs. We looked at um, a range of objective and more subjective data, um, a very big study, but a lot of uh, statistical confidence, but it's not perfect. one thing we didn't do, for example, was uh, take uh, um, blood results, uh, blood tests and do clinical examinations on, on actual animals. We did rely upon information coming from uh, guardians and some of that uh, will um, be incorrect, uh, but there's no reason to believe that's more likely in any one dietary group than another. So so that's our study. We've also got the study of 12 animals that was um, published in British Journal of Nutrition in 2009. They're all sprint racing Siberian Huskies. Uh, they were examined physically by a vet and blood samples were taken. Uh, they were subjected to extremely high exercise regime, pulling uh, laden sleds through snow for weeks on end uh, in competitive racing. Um, and the, the ones on a plant-based diet uh, did just as well as the ones on meat-based diet. Uh, but um, <clears throat> the sample size was 12, which is not sufficient to reliably extrapolate results to the entire population of dogs in the world. No, but they are incredibly hardworking, incredibly hardworking dogs. So if a husky can do well on it, you know, they are the, probably the hardest working dog of all, aren't they? You're absolutely right. It's hard to think of any animals that might be exercising more than a sprint racing Siberian husky dragging um, sleds through heavy snow for, for days on end. So that was a great group to be studying. There have been two unpublished master's theses uh, by by veterinary students um, using clinical examination blood results, finding that the vegan dogs did as well or better. So that's the evidence in favour. There are these four studies. The evidence against is one study, which is 1987. The sample size was eight, so even smaller than the 12. And in this dog... um, there were six weeks of enforced rest um, and then dogs had to run for four hours a day non-stop at 12 kilometres an hour on a treadmill for two weeks, um, which is a very unnatural um, exercise regime. It's nothing like the natural lifestyle of a domesticated dog today. Um, the ones that were uh, on a plant-based diet um, seem to have lower cholesterol in their bloodstream and that seemed to be it seems to protect um, against anemia under such extreme exercise regimes. So the plant-based dogs ended up getting anemia in this study. So so there you go. If, yeah. if we look at the studies for and against, they can all be critiqued, but I think the weight of evidence is very strongly in favour of the conclusion that nutritionally sound vegan diets um, provide health outcomes that are as good or better than 
those provided by meat-based diets. And, you know, that, that's not perfect, but it is a very, I think we can be very strongly confident of that conclusion. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, yeah, like you say, there's, you know, we all come with our own opinions and, uh, but, but when you're talking about higher numbers, we start to balance things out to a certain extent. And yeah, if we're looking for the perfect study, we're going to be waiting for a long time. And but, but I mean, I say that because I know there has been kind of among the profession. I think veterinarians were a pretty conservative bunch, and like you say, we you know we kind of we well we know what works kind of in inverted commas maybe. Um, you know, so why why change it? What would you like to see maybe in the future to help bring more people on board with this? You know, this idea of that vegan feeding for dogs is not just okay; it's actually you know, potentially optimal. Right. Uh, veterinarians um, are not driving this change. As you've rightly said, they're a fairly conservative group. Um, unfortunately, it's it's a bit unscientific to prefer one's own personal experience and opinions to scientific evidence. And unfortunately, there is a lot of that uh, amongst veterinarians. So, um, But as I'm not too concerned because they're not driving this change, this change has been driven by consumers uh, and pet food companies are following. So consumers are hugely um, more concerned than they used to be about uh, the environmental impacts, but also health and well-being uh, for themselves and their families and even the welfare of, of farmed animals. And as a result of that, um, this, this sector is expanding very quickly at the moment. Pet food companies are sensing a business opportunity, providing diets that consumers want. The sector was valued at being worth $9 billion globally in, in uh, 2020 and going up to $16 billion globally by 2028. That's before all of these new large-scale studies appear. So what needs to happen going forwards is we need to be studying the things I think that the consumers are concerned about. And in our survey of more than 4,000 pet guardians, we found the top five concerns and they matched other studies as well. And that's the uh, health of, of the companion animals, as you would expect, the nutritional soundness and quality of the different diets, uh, palatability uh, and environmental sustainability. So we're systematically studying each of these areas and publishing the results. And we have done uh, health outcomes in dogs, uh, health outcomes in cats is forthcoming. There's already a large scale study from uh, Guelph Vet School in Canada that's published last year, which is super exciting in that area. So that's kind of already been addressed to some degree. Uh, we've addressed the um, dietary quality and nutritional soundness in another study that we published last year. We've addressed the palatability in a large scale one that we published last year. We haven't done uh, environmental impacts yet. That's that's coming at the moment. So, so we need to, I think, uh, continue this work, uh, get the remaining studies published. People are interested in studying other areas as well. Um, there are clinical trials underway. There, um, there are plans to do studies into digestibility, into a survey of costs of different diets, different aspects. Uh, and these as this information gets out to the consumer base, um, the pace of change is going to dramatically accelerate and veterinarians um, hopefully will eventually overcome um, to some degree their own personal biases and, and become aware of and willing to consider the new scientific evidence as it, as it emerges. Um, fundamentally, vets are scientists and that is more powerful than um their their own personal biases i hope <laughs> and expect yeah, uh, yeah that is the root of root of what we do and who we are yeah. we are scientists yeah. well, i guess it's all you know quite unfamiliar and and yeah there's a lot going on and there's a lot of people's plates so you know maybe it doesn't 
get their full attention or the attention it deserves. I guess like just thinking about maybe switching just at the end to practical tips for pet parents who, you know, want to make the change or want to look into this more. Is there a vast range of diets available? Are, are there any is there anything in particular that people should be looking for? I'm guess I'm thinking, you know, there's been various scares with our kind of our peas, lentils, potato diets that, you know, that, that's a bit of an unknown and people might be a bit cautious. So where, where can people go to start, you know, on this journey if they're just thinking about this for the first time? Yep. It varies depending on where you are. Um, this is a really quickly growing field and it's going to look very different in five years to how it looks today. Um, in some places, there may not be any options available for people. In major cities, there might be several options available for people. What people need to be doing to ensure the uh, health of their companion animals is make sure the diet is nutritionally uh, sound, it's nutritionally complete and balanced, and uh, it's of good quality. So I'd be checking the labelling claims uh, to of, of whatever you're feeding to make sure that the diet is, is nutritionally complete. Uh, making sure it's coming from a reputable company that's hopefully working with experts such as veterinary nutritionists to formulate a diet which is nutritionally complete. I wouldn't be um, trying to use a, make a homemade diet and, and add supplements yourself. Uh, it is possible to do that, but there have been quite a, a few studies showing that uh, it's uh, very difficult to get that right and it's, it's, it's usually uh, unfortunately done incorrectly. So it's, I think it's not worth trying. I would go with uh, an existing commercial company that is producing diets to good standards and hopefully can provide information about what steps they're taking to ensure the nutritional soundness of their products. Uh, it would be a red flag if a company didn't provide any such information and did not respond to any requests, for example. So, so those are the things. I, I ensure the labelling uh, states that it is nutritionally complete. It's from a reputable company that hopefully can provide some information about steps taken to ensure nutritional soundness. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, that's I guess that's something that we should be thinking about regardless of what we're feeding because there's a lot of um, manufacturers out there of every diet that, uh, you know, maybe don't have the expertise or the care that, you know, we would demand if we knew all of the facts about yes. things. So, Dr. Andrew, this has been a fantastic conversation. There's been a huge amount of information that that we've spoken about today. Where can people go to to read the study to find out all of these other the studies that you've you know you've um you've you've published and you know keep up to date with what's in the pipeline as well? Sure. So, um, I have a website, sustainablepetfood.info, and uh, there's tabs for articles, which is where the studies are appearing. Uh, tabs for videos. I have a short video series for social media. Uh, and other information on the website. Um, so that's. Uh, I hope that will be very helpful to uh, consumers, but also to vets potentially that are interested in in reading about these studies. Yeah, definitely, yeah. I mean, they make a fascinating read. I'd encourage everyone to go over to those those um, yeah, those links. I'll leave them in the show notes as well. Um, Dr. Andrew, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure to chat to you. Thank you very much indeed. Have a great day. Helping your pet live the happy, healthy life they deserve. <laughs> so I really enjoyed that conversation with Dr. Andrew and I wanted to leave you kind of with some of my thoughts about everything that we've spoken about today and kind of the topic of vegan diets I guess as a whole. You know there are limitations with this study you know relying on subjective or observed data you know that that, that does bring significant limitations and there is a reasonable opportunity for bias and actually this is discussed by Dr. Andrew in the study where it's proposed that because raw feeding is not generally recommended by the majority of vets out there those who feed raw could 
may well be less likely to visit their vet or give their dog conventional medications and, you know, preferring alternative sources of health advice and treatment with more kind of natural and holistic options and in inverted commas. You know, and the same could very well be said about those who choose to feed their dog a vegan diet, which is also not currently in the mainstream. And, you know, this means that using these factors as a marker of health does need to be interpreted with some caution and with that in mind. We also need to think about the diet categories. You know, they could potentially contain a significant range of differing quality options. So with our commercial diets, for example, you know, we could be talking about the cheapest of the cheap being produced by local companies without the input of a veterinary nutritionist who have poor quality control, use meat and other uh, ingredients of dubious sources. Equally, we could be talking about those diets that really are carefully formulated. They're heavily tested. They have true expert input. There's good, high quality uh, quality control. You know, we're talking about a real top end diet. And those two diets are likely to have very different effects on a dog. Equally, raw feeding, that could mean nothing but, you know, giving raw chicken and a sprinkle of vitamins through to a completely balanced diet formulated by a veterinary nutritionist for that individual dog. So there's a huge, you know, variation there potentially. But, but it's my opinion, you know, whatever that may be worth, that to a certain extent, these limitations are not actually important when it comes to assessing the value of vegan diets for dogs. Uh, And this is why I believe that. Um, I think from a health point of view, we don't have to prove that vegan diets are healthier than current options for them to be for us to be able to recommend them i think we just need to be able to show that they are as healthy and as dr andrew went through and discussed in our conversation there is a growing body of evidence that demonstrates that this at the very least appears to be the case and i say at the very least because clearly dr andrew's study showed that there could be an improvement of health through the feeding of vegan diets But even if they're just comparable, I think that is good enough because with this point in mind, it's also incredibly clear from an environmental point of view that vegan diets are significantly better. And when we consider that up to 30% of the environmental damage due to farming and food is a result of the need to feed our pets, it's also clear that if we reduce our dog's environmental impact, then that has a significant impact on the overall health of the planet the uh, carbon emissions the environmental destruction the the extinction of species so i think with all this in mind you know we owe it to uh, our pets we owe it to the planet we owe it to ourselves to at the very least consider the possibility of switching your dog onto a vegan pet food And if you want to learn more about some of these other environmental issues, uh, I spoke to Dr. Ernie Ward in episode number 100, uh, which is titled The Pet Food Revolution is Here, about all of these other issues that we need to consider. So I'll leave links to that in the show notes or jump back into the previous episodes on your podcast player. And because of the importance of this topic, you know, for the health of our planet, for the health of our pets and for the health of us ultimately as well. I'd love it if you could share this on social or send it to uh, two or three of your pet owning friends or family just to help spread the word and, and keep this conversation going. But for today, that's it from me. I hope that you're doing really well out there and I look forward to speaking to you in the next episode. But until then, I'm veterinarian Dr. Alex. This is the Call the Vet show because they're family. That's it for this episode of the Call the Vet Show. Be sure to visit callthevet.org to join the conversation. 
access the show notes and discover our fantastic bonus content. We'll see you next time.